The Press Box is here to catch you up on the latest media stories. Hosted by Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker, these guys have the insight on the biggest stories you care about. Check out The Press Box on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. I am Justin Verrier. Joining me as always, Big Waz, Rob Mahoney on this post-deadline week. Joel Embiid is already taking shuffle three-pointers. Uh, Ramona Shelburne is already reporting that the Lakers are holding the line like William Wallace against AD and LeBron. What a time, Waz. <laughs> I mean, oh, it, it, time is a flat circle. You know, uh, mm. the Lakers are in disarray uh, and... You know, James Harden is still taking step backs. Hmm. We are going to get into the most interesting storylines as a result of the deadlines. The next questions, if you will, uh, as a result of a flurry activity last week, uh, we're going to get into some buyout matchmaker. We're going to get into some other stuff. Let's start with some news that we got just coming across the wire today. Adam Silver made some comments that uh, caught our eyes here. He commented on just the Simmons and Harden trade and just the ripple effects uh, across the league. But he also talked about the vaccination mandate in New York specifically, basically alluding to the fact, not even necessarily alluding, basically outright saying that it doesn't make sense that unvaccinated players can play in Brooklyn, but Kyrie Irving, who is also unvaccinated, cannot. Um, Waz, what did you think about this whole thing? Do you think this is like long time coming or where do you fall on it? I think it's Adam Silver sort of reading the tea. Not, I, I don't want to say reading the tea leaves, but the league over the years has decided that they wanted to align themselves with online discourse, if you will. Mm. And so with the vaccine, the people that the league whose approval they've been courting have been very strict vaccine adherent online anyway. And the league, so so the league has taken a while to come out and say, look, our unvaccinated guys should be able to play. And I think the only reason they're doing this right now is because those rules in New York are probably about to change. And Adam Silver basically wants to sod the ground and be like, look, Kyrie, the unvaccinated man, is going to be allowed to play. And it makes all the freaking sense, which all of us have been saying forever, when we're packing stadiums with 15,000 people, we're letting road players play unvaccinated. Why can't this dude hoop? It, it doesn't make any sense. And I think Silver, because again, they're just taking a long time to reverse the course of years of pandering to a certain online chatter and discourse finally just doing stuff that makes sense for the freaking business. Hmm. Yeah. It just seems like there's like a general hypocrisy going on here where 
I, the rules just didn't make sense. It's not like we're saying that they shouldn't there shouldn't be rules in place for the safety of the players. It's just like there are different rules for different people, right? Rob, what do you what do you make of this? I mean, I think the reason we're seeing some evolution in what the NBA's view on this is is because when when the rules came down from local municipalities, I think there's an optics problem with the league saying, you know what, screw you, city of New York, screw you, city of San Francisco, we're going to do what we want, we're going to pay whatever fines are necessary. I think there's an optics problem with that. But as Waz is saying, now that we've reached this point where the arenas are full, there's no li- there's no limitations in a lot of these buildings as to even you know vaccination, negative tests. A lot right. of these buildings are just letting people in the door. So there really is no harm in letting Kyrie play at this point. There really hasn't been harm in letting him play from the start other right. than the local mandate. And so Silver is right to point out the hypocrisy of why are road players allowed to play unvaccinated, but home players are not. Just we've been on this for months. This is not a mm. new problem, but the timing certainly is interesting, isn't it? About, you know, now that Kyrie Irving and the Nets are are relevant in a different way, now that some of these problems within these teams have been resolved. Now, all of a sudden, this is an issue. So are you <laughs> suggesting a conspiracy theory, Rob Mahoney, that perhaps now that, uh, y- you know, the Nets have gotten rid of James Harden, they've cleared out this problem for the league of of this big matzo ball hanging out of the air, Ben Simmons not playing, James Harden being unhappy, that perhaps they want to do the Nets a favor? I would never do that. I would never <laughs> say something so irresponsible on a podcast as that. Yeah. I mean, it has been weird just watching games throughout the course of the season and seeing so many NBA players just like dapping up fans and giving out high fives. Like that's literally the last thing I would want to do with my neighbors or anyone on this podcast, for instance. Like I'm not touching just random people. So it it does seem like a long time coming. Well, it would be weird if you were just walking around (laughs) high fiving your neighbors, to be fair. Yeah, that would be strange. And, you know, another thing, if you've been paying attention to any of the news nationally, A lot of states are doing stuff like, yo, we're done with the mask mandate. We're done with this. We're done with that. Like, these things are coming down the pike. Like, if you have eyes, you can see it. Um, And so this makes sense. This isn't silver coming down and doing some grand proclamation. No, this is just something that was months in the making. It's been made sense to do this. And I've already seen it on social where people are painting this as, Kyrie gets his way. Ben Simmons gets his way. Um, Guys, Kyrie Irving put his money where his mouth is. You can say he got his way or whatever. He actually paid for this out his own damn pocket. I'm mm. sorry. Like, uh, th- that's a whole different thing than stomping your feet and people giving you your way. This man said, I will sit out. I will give away my game checks. I don't care. So, you know, like, I've already seen it. Like, oh, I can't believe Kyrie's going to get what he wants. It's like, guys, this dude missed games, missed game checks, okay? How many of y'all are willing to go to work, uh, stand to your ground at work for something, and then when they say, yo, on the 1st and 15th, you ain't going to get paid? How many of y'all willing to stand up for it? Please. I think the difference there is like just the amount of zeros in Kyrie's bank account as opposed yeah. to someone like Andrew Wiggins yes. who has a lot of money, let's be sure, but like maybe the future earnings isn't as high there. No. And, and and by the way, the past earnings isn't as high with sneaker deals and all of that yes. stuff. Kyrie yeah. is a rich man for sure. Well, Ben Simmons also just raised his fist in the air in solidarity, giving up game checks for his very principled stance. <laughs> a lot of freedom fighters here. Um, I do want to talk about the other thing that Silver talked about briefly, which is just like whether or not fans are being turned off by the, let's put it in air quotes, player empowerment era. Uh, his quotes, just kind of boiling it down just to get through it quickly, was basically like almost taking a victory lap for the shortened contracts that uh, got instituted in years past and just how much that just changes things up in the league, keeps things fresh. But he also mentioned that guys asking out within those shorter contracts was not good for the league. Waz, do you have any just feelings on that? I mean, I personally would agree, and I talked about this with Chris and Sarah on the answer last week, so I'm curious what you think. Of course, I agree. Um, I think there's a way to exert leverage when you're one year out, year and a half out. Um, Of course, you should be trying to exert your leverage at every single turn. But again, if you're four years out and you're asking out of your deal, it's just a bad 
message to be sending to the customers, man. Like, I don't care. I don't live up to my agreements. I don't live up to my principles. Um, I'm out of here. Uh, that's just a bad message to be sending. And then again, for the league's partners, and again, like, let's get let's get some real talk, full disclosure here. Mm. I was at a company, The Athletic, before I came here, that is a subscription-based service. And internally, the subscriptions that are being driven by the stories that are being put out, it's very obvious what the goal is. Sub, 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 subs. And no. Yes, no yes, saying. yes. <laughs> and, and guess what? And guess what? The stuff that drove a lot of subs was the very stuff that Adam Silver's talking about. So I sympathize with my media colleagues who are like, yo, look, the pressure's on me to deliver for my employer. And guess what these crackheads want? More crack. <laughs> so I'm going to give it to them. You know, so I can't be mad at them. But at a yeah. certain point, we got to have a more, take a longer view of the league that we love, right? And what's best for that league, for us all to be participating in it in a, in a more broader fashion. And a lot of it isn't a freaking tweet that says, Sus, uh, discussions have been suspended. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> That's ridiculous. You know, so or J James Harden said this. It's like... We shouldn't be covering our league that way. And I think that's what Adam Silver's just trying to say. It's like, man, maybe we should be de-emphasizing some of this behind-the-scenes stuff. So what you're suggesting is that, you know, some party drugs are fine, but we need some inter federal intervention here if it gets to the level of, like, hey. you need the hit. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We need the war on player empowerment, is what yeah. it sounds like. <laughs> I guess, I guess so. <laughs> uh. Oh God. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I think that's different with the Harden situation than in recent years is that a lot of those moves were made specifically to give the teams that they're going to the best chance at the title. Like the big three heat formed because with designs of winning not one, not two, not three, right? Yeah. Whereas it just seems like Harden is bouncing around just based <laughs> on preference. I think that's a pretty huge distinction. I think it also rubbed people the wrong way when KD left one of the best teams in modern basketball history and the Warriors to go hang out with Kyrie and do something different in Brooklyn. That was a little bit different there because it was like, oh, maybe he just wants to change the scenery with, with Harden. It's literally like I'm leaving the Warriors to just not even play a with a team that's like comparable. It's actually a lesser team, but that just fits my preference. And I think that's a, a major distinction that they have to kind of solve, honestly. Well, all of that said, in the James Harden case, if the alternative is him kind of loafing around for a while until his friends get back on the court and then trying for a bit and then leaving as a free agent, is I don't know how you legislate around that possibility. Mm -hmm. You know, like he's going to do, he's going to play the way he wants to play. He's going to do the things he wants to do. He could sign with any team he wants in a couple mm -hmm. months. Him applying some pressure on the Nets, I don't necessarily have a problem with because in this case, the Nets at least got stuff back for him in a way that if he just, if he just left, I don't know where that leaves a team like Brooklyn. Here's a controversial take. Um, I think it's on us to be killing guys who do shit like that, straight up mm. and down. Oh, sure. And because because I do think that when Harden, <laughs> when remember when all of those highlight reels or low light reels of Harden's defense being put out there. Not that he started playing <laughs> better defense, but he would openly address it and try yeah. to defend himself, and it had an effect. You know, and so if Harden was to come out and be a scrub purposely for months on end, he needs to get publicly chastised and disgraced for it, straight up and down. And, you know, I do think there's a sort of kid gloves factor about, oh, we need to be pro player. Nobody's more pro player than me. I'm damn sure not pro James Dolan or Tillman Furtada. You know what I mean? Like, I'm pro player. But at the same time, when guys are doing dumb shit... We need to be able to point that out as a media as a whole. You feel me? So, yeah, James Harden could go out and do that, but he needs to be getting smoked for it in the public <laughs> and being embarrassed for it straight up and down. The only problem is James Harden doesn't have the internet. So how are we supposed to get to this guy? <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> I know. I, I guess this is just like a backdoor for Skip Bayless being 
Speaker of the House, I guess, or whatever oh equivalent it is for, oh for the NBA. No, it, it's a good point. Like when when Anthony Davis gets criticized, as we talked about, like he starts to put, give a little bit more effort, you know. Um, all right, let's uh, let's move along here to some of our, our other questions that we have on our docket. Um, let's start with some positivity. Mm. All right. Positive guys on this podcast. Um, who's the most intriguing non-sixer, non-net team? Because Lord knows we have all talked about these guys for way too much lately. Uh, coming out of the deadline, but in a good way. Rob, do you want to start us off? Yeah. My pick is the Phoenix Suns, who after another clutch win last night, I find myself wondering, is Phoenix just going to roll to the finals? Is anybody mm. equipped to stand in their way? And I don't want to totally count out the Warriors yet, but at this point, they are a good team with theoretical elements. It's if Draymond gets healthy, it's if Clay keeps building his way back, it's if these non-Steph lineups can figure things out. Meanwhile, I look at the Suns, I just see a freaking machine. I mean, do you see anybody standing up to them in a playoff setting right now? The answer is an emphatic yes, okay? Um, one, and, and, and we have a very recent example of this. The team that set the freaking record for regular season wins in the regular season, they... They damn they got beat in the Western Conference Finals. Then they lost in the actual finals, right? And so in the playoff, like the regular season is it, everything can run nice and smoothly. The trains are always on time when you have a team this dedicated to what their game plan is, their scheme is, this talented. In the regular season, the trains can run on time. In the playoffs, that's when people start throwing snags in your plans, and it doesn't look this smoothly. So, no, I don't think they're going to roll through the the playoffs um, because of that. But I do think, I agree with you, they look so impressive. That that Mikael Bridges three, to put them up seven last night in that game against the Clippers, it was the dagger three, and just watching the possession where Chris Paul actually, he actually had daylight for his own look. And at the very last second, he gave it to Mikael Bridges in his corner pocket, in his spot. And that shit was splash. I was just like, damn, that's execution right there. And so, no, I'm equally as impressed with the Suns as Rob is. But no, I don't think they're just going to roll people over because that's generally not how things work for teams in the playoffs. Yeah, you got to give the Suns credit because at the very least, they didn't shoot themselves in the foot at the trade deadline because when those rumors started to come out that DeAndre Ayton was Mm. potentially maybe involved in a trade or like maybe in the offseason we considered I was like oh god this could get really (laughs) ugly really fast and they didn't do it they made some moves on the fringes and and here they are just completely rolling over the entire league well it has Um, as much to do with what they did which is as you said some moves on the fringes punch up their bench as it does what the rest of the west didn't do like nobody else improved their chances to challenge the suns in the west at the deadline which if you're the resounding favorite seems like a good place to be Yeah, among the top six in the West right now, the biggest move was the Mavs getting Spencer Dinwiddie, which was (laughs) functionally a step back just to get rid of Kristaps Porzingis. Like the Jazz getting to kill Alexander Walker. The Nuggets getting Bryn Forbes. Remember we talked about that? Major ripple effects on the West race, my friends. Um, What do you think about their moves? Just like briefly, the Suns, Rob, Aaron Holiday to shore up the backcourt spot, Torrey Craig, coming back for a second tour of duty. Yeah, I'm, I'm super into it. Just in from a depth standpoint, those are two guys who could be playoff performers for you. Aaron Holiday is the kind of player you could see plugging into like a random game three and going mm-hmm. off on like a 12-point third quarter or mm-hmm. something. And Torrey Craig, really solid veteran defender on the wing, fills kind of the exact spots they need. So I'm into it. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the Suns first because then I want to get to my team because I was looking at 538 and they're just projections and uh, the chances of winning their finals is something I always like to keep tabs on. Expecting the Suns to be there with a bullet at number one. They have them projected at 64 and 18. The only team within like even close of 60 wins. I think the next highest team total is 56 with the Grizzlies. So by far and away projected to dominate the regular season. And yet the number one team in the chances of winning the finals, according to 538, the Boston Celtics, the <laughs> new look dominant nine game winning streak, Boston Celtics. Was are you drinking that green? Color 
<laughs> First of all, I just want to say our our great producer Isaiah Blakely. He doesn't have his camera on right now. I wish I could see his face as Verrier uh, read that stat off. Um, look, uh, they've been playing with a lot more vigor recently, and of course, it's easy to point that out on a nine game streak. Um, I kind of poo pooed the Derek White acquisition last week. Early returns say that Waz doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about because <laughs> he looks amazing right now, just slotting into what they've already got going on. Um, it's nice to see that things are finally falling into place and there's no more closed-door team players-only meetings where guys are very candid and real with each other. Like, it's nice to see we've, we've moved past that part of the season. Um Championship, I mean, come on, man. Championship, number one. Odds of winning the championship in a conference that, you know, has the Hardens and the Embiid's and the Giannis's and the Middleton's and even what's going on in Miami. No, I don't don't quite see that for them. Sorry, boss man, Bill Simmons. Yeah, I kind of look at what they did at the deadline, almost like I did the Kings last week. We're on like a, a transactional basis on like, based on the actual assets given out versus what returned yeah, the accounting it. of it yeah. all. I don't think it looks great. And I have long-term concerns about Brad Steven, especially when one of his big moves is to just like complicate their luxury tax season, just to roll back the 2018 team, bringing Daniel Tyson there. But Derek White just makes sense on this team. Like they are a defensive minded team that now shares the ball very willingly. Um, and it's just like, they're just solid as hell. The defense is now creeping up on the Warriors for the number one spot in the NBA. And just like taking off some of the burden of the playmaking from Jalen Brown, from Jason Tatum, seems like a good move. They didn't get like a primary ball handler they're just going to take it out of their right. hands. You're just taking a little bit off their plate and like letting Derek White just do some of the stuff that maybe they don't want to do. And it just, it, it's working so far. Well, that five-man combination, the small ball look that they can throw out with Derek White now, with Smart, with Brown, with Tatum, with Rob Williams. That looks like the best defensive lineup in the NBA. Like, that is super switchable, super flexible, but you have the rim protection. You have the ability to cover so many guys with size. That looks really good. And there's enough juice with that lineup where they can really get some things going offensively. Can they mix and match the rest of the rotation? We'll see. We'll see how long, you know, once, once they're all fully healthy, how long they keep kind of their previous starting lineup intact. I think that's a question for them, but... They've looked really impressive. And and as far as an elite defensive team that now has a little more upside offensively with a ball mover like White, I think that's a formula that can work for them. Yeah, and as long as their guys are on the floor, um, long as Williams, Brown, Tatum, uh, as long as all of their guys are on the floor, plus Derek White, I think they're going to be pretty good. And again, this is such an improvement from last season where it's just like... The ancillary guys were barely NBA-level players. And now it feels like, man, like, okay, this is a team full of, you know, legitimate all-stars surrounded by legitimate rotational NBA players. And we're seeing the difference that that makes. I know, you know, we tend to harp on just in the media, not on this podcast, because as long as Rob Mahoney's on this podcast... We are not going to harp on the stars. We're going to get to the ancillary cats. <laughs> but, like, we do, as a general media, we harp on the Jason, the Tatums and the Browns and say, well, shoot, those guys are having career years scoring, blah, 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 blah. Why aren't the Celtics winning? Um, we're seeing what a difference it makes when the role guys are actually competent around those stars. And, yeah, they, they look great right now. Well, while we're getting to the ancillary cats, let's let's give Marcus Smart his due because he went down with this non-contact injury, turned his ankle really badly. It looked kind of scary at first. The fact that it's just an ankle, I think, bodes well because he's become really important to their offense. And they've really kind of reorganized in a way where he's doing more playmaking. He's been empowered a little bit more over the last month or so in a way that I think is really healthy for them and helped turn their season around in a way. 
Yeah, that is my big concern here is that they don't have enough of those rotational guys in case one of those solid rotational guys gets hurt and smart being one of the key ones there. Like I read something from John Hollinger the other day that all these trades that they made at the deadline dropped them to so few roster spots that they immediately, based on the rules of the CBA, had to sign two more guys because they did not have enough. Like they were at 10, they had to get to 12. And so I am worried that if you were going to just like ride the lightning with nine, eight, even got rotation guys, 10 guys, whatever it is like, that's going to come up and bite you. But like, if they make it the playoffs fully healthy with those eight, nine, 10 guys, then uh, maybe they could be in the mix for, if not the Eastern conference finals, then at the very least, like second round, push some of these other heat teams that we keep talking about. Well, Waz, who is your intriguing team in a good way? Uh, I mean, it's the same. It's the same freaking teeth. Because, like, you got to look at it. You, you you have to look at what's happening, especially in the East, right? It's like, after the Celtics, who was like, okay, this is the team after the four teams we've been talking about all year. Can you go down and say, oh, who's intriguing me in the Eastern Conference? Is it, the, is it Franz Wagner and the Orlando Magic? Is that what you're... Intrigued by? We know nobody's intrigued by the Knicks. Uh, Like, what should I be intrigued by here? I hate being that person, but yeah, I am focused on the teams at the top. I just generally am. And I'm, look, I got to be, I got to be honest with you guys. Um, I am laser focused on that Philly situation. (laughs) I, I, I will be watching that thing like a hawk. Okay. I, I'm ready I am ready to watch that thing happen because there's been a lot of Philly people taking a victory lap in my mentions. And I'm like, okay, all right. I I see you guys. You guys are enjoying yourselves for right now. But I am really, truly, truly locked in on the Philly thing. Even more so than obviously Brooklyn. I want to see KD come back and all of that. But I think think we kind of know what they're going to do, Brooklyn. It's kind of obvious what's going to happen once KD comes back. I'm focused on Philly, man. I really am. You're looking forward to Paul Reed getting increased minutes? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, well, I guess we should probably talk about the East in general now. That's one of our, our later questions just because, like, the Nets might be okay, but if they don't get Kyrie back soon, there's a chance that they might fall into the play in tournament. The East as a whole is kind of in a chaotic state, mostly for a good way because there's just so much talent, so many big twos that are dotting the top of that conference right now. But if the Nets can be reasonably healthy, you're you're talking about seven to eight teams that could realistically contend for an NBA final spot. Rob, is there anyone, either teams that we talked about or teams that we haven't yet, that you would put at the top of that list in the East? In terms of who's going to win it? Yeah. Oh, for me, it's still the Bucks. Okay. Sorry. You want to talk about the Bucks quickly? Because I have them yeah. as my team uh, that's intriguing in a bad way. So last night, Giannis drops a 50 piece. He's obviously incredible. And I get. I mean, this move. sounds pretty bad. This sounds bad. <laughs> yeah, I know. When they all three, uh, Drew Holiday, Giannis, and Milton play together, they're incredible. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, I get the Serge Ibaka move in theory because they only had one other healthy big man in Bobby Portis and just getting someone uh, who just like a healthy body one would be great, but also who has some stretch who could fill that Portis role with ostensibly like some more defensive heft to him, like is a perfect fit there. I guess I'm just concerned that they dealt their only young tradable asset in Dante DiVincenzo for a guy with a back injury, which could in theory give them two guys with back problems and now they are perilously thin at the guard spot because now Pat Connaughton is out. We'll see what they do on the buyout market. But like, I don't know. It's a, a lot of risk for a team that otherwise should be sailing here. Well, that was the risk, as you were saying, in trading DiVincenzo, not just period, but specifically for someone who isn't a perimeter player. Like, let's go through that perilously thin guard rotation. So you've got Drew and Grayson Allen. You've mm-hmm. got George Hill. You've got Wesley Matthews, who has been fine, I guess. Uh, Pat Connaughton, who's now out with a with a you know a medium term injury. They just brought in DeAndre Bembry, who's a good pickup under these circumstances, but got cut from the Nets for a reason. And someone named Lindell Wigington, who you cannot <laughs> convince me is an NBA player. 
You got some minutes last night, baby. Yeah. I mean, I'm a little nervous about that for sure. But the, I think what, what reassures me is, again, as long as those, th- those three stars are healthy, yeah. no matter who the role, DeMarcus Cousins was filling minutes for them at one point this season and they were winning games. I'm not too worried about it. The, the linchpin is, is that Drew can't go down, right? Because as much as I love what Middleton does on the ball at the end of games, he is a beautiful initiator in crunch time and, you know, initiating pick and roll with Giannis and all of that stuff. Like, he is incredible at it. You can't ask that him to do that over the course of a game, right? It has to be Drew sharing those responsibilities with some other guard. Now, if something happens to Drew where he's limited or he's not playing at all, and those other guys you mentioned are who's on the ball full-time, or what they do is they revert back to Kobe Giannis, that's when I think things tend to fall apart. But so long as Drew can be there to be that linchpin, that bridge for them to run competent offense until, you know, basically Middleton and and Giannis take them home at the end of games, I think they'll be fine. I'm not really too worried about what Sergi Baca has to do or what, you know, Bobby Portis has to do. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, they're third place in the East. They're 24-6 and with those three guys in the lineup, as Justin alluded to. And they still have gears to go. Like, they're not going all out in the way they did in previous seasons. They can turn it on when they need to. They can button up the rotation to make shit happen when they have to. And I trust in those things, not just because they're a neat idea, but because we've seen it now. We have seen Mm. them do exactly that. So, Waz, if not the Bucs, who do you like in the East? To go to the championship? Yeah. Not necessarily the regular season, because that's more about just grinding out wins at this point. Give me Miami. Give me Miami. Um, I just, again, when it comes to scheming up some stuff that's going to muck up the works for another team, nobody's better at it than Eric Spolstra. Uh, They're finally getting sort of all of their guys back into the fold. Um, I just think what they're going to be able to do to people on defense come playoff time is going to be just nasty work. Um, So, and again... Jimmy's going to be able to do enough on the ball at the end of games to get them over. Give me the Bucks. I just, you know, the Brooklyn thing, there's just so much in the air. As great as KD is, another chunk of time that he's missing, right? Uh, how reliable will the health be? I've said it again. I'll say it a million times. Kyrie, health-wise, is not reliable. We're praying that this dude makes it to the end of the season. And, you know, we, we've said enough about what their third best player does in playoff settings. So, yeah, no, give me Miami behind the Bucks as the number two team because I think Brooklyn is the more talented team than the Heat for sure. But all of the other stuff, man, when it comes to injury luck, when it comes to past performance in the postseason – by their most important players, that, that stuff makes me makes me a little anxious. And so, yeah, uh, give me Miami, please. Rob, where are you on Miami? They've kind of flown under the radar somehow, despite the fact that they are 37 and 21 here. I mean, they're awesome. And as, as Waz alluded to, what Spo can do in a playoff series is incredibly dangerous, incredibly scary if you're one of these top teams. And the way Bam Adebayo has been playing, making a pretty strong stealth defensive player of the year case over mm-hmm. the last couple of weeks, he looks incredible. I mean, what, what they're able to do in terms of the variety of schemes, the variety of approaches is unmatched anywhere in the NBA. And they have exactly the coach you can trust to push the right buttons at the right time. They're going to be really good. They're going to be really tough for anyone to beat. But what I'm hearing across this podcast is not a ton of Sixers optimism necessarily in terms of their ability to compete with those top teams in the East. I'm not, I don't want to say they can't compete. I'd like, that's, that's ridiculous. I think they're going to compete, but I think the offensive fit is going to be clunkier than people realize, but it's going to be fine. Right. But I just don't think it's going to be flying colors. This thing makes all the, all the sense in the world, the way people, it sounds like believes it's going to be. And then defensively, I, I think they're going to have problems, man. I really do think they're going to have some problems defensively, even with Joel Embiid in the fold, because Tybul is essentially their only perimeter defender at this point um, of any consequence whatsoever. And even Tybul, I think, 
He's incredible in help um, defense. He is amazing at getting blocks and steals. But just straight up, guarding a guy one-on-one, he's not this... He ain't Lou Dort. Let's put it like that, right? (laughs) Like, he's not this incredible stopper defensively. And he's the best they got. And so there's ways to make it so that Joel Embiid has to be drawn away from the rim and emphasize what you're doing against the likes of James Harden and Maxi and Tybal as elite perimeter threats come across their way. So I'm worried about what they're doing defensively. I'm unconvinced about them being a juggernaut on offense that can overcome those shortcomings. I think they're going to be good offensively. Um, Joel Embiid has been incredible all season on that. And then, of course, you know what Harden does. Again, I'm I'm skeptical of the level of offensive play that James Harden can still be in and of himself from what we've seen this season. Uh, But, yeah, it's not that I don't think they can compete. I think they're a level below those teams at the top, though. I think there's no question that they've put themselves into a slightly elevated category from this is not a championship-level team to, okay, they have a shot. Yep. And it's hard to move them up further than that sight unseen when we've seen how good the Heat are. We've seen how good the Bucks can be. You know, if, and if you're if you're on the Bulls bandwagon, if you want to, to cape for any of these other teams, that's fine too. Until we see it on the court, I hesitate to put them above those top two. Like, they've just been so convincing in terms of what they've been able to do over the past season and playoff run in Milwaukee's case. Yeah, I want to see the interpersonal dynamics play out on the court <laughs> for at least a couple of weeks because Joel Embiid has been fine without James Harden. Like he's, if not the MVP favorite, certainly right in the top three right now, just by dominating every team in his path and and just dominating the ball at the same time. And so I wonder, is there going to be conflict over Harden thinking that he is the savior for this team coming and giving them a late game closer, being uh, the final piece of the title and Joel be- basically being like, this team was going to potentially be a top four team in the East without you. Uh, and so I don't know, like they don't have much of a relationship that we know of. And as we've seen, it's a lot easier when these guys are friends, although like maybe it's actually not considering that Harden and Durant were allegedly best of friends. And, um, and, 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 I don't and know. Just, just to put a ball on it. So Sixers fans don't think I'm doing the whole Sixers hate thing. Again, I'm watching y'all. It's not out of hate. I'm just curious to see how it works. <laughs> I think, Look, the thing that Joel's going to do amazingly for James Harden is that teams are going to have to actually play conventional pick-and-roll defense against them, against James Harden, because you can't just switch a small guy onto Joel Embiid. That is near certain death for your defense when you do that. And I think Harden's biggest weakness these days is that he can't beat switches anymore. So... Now that that's going to be the case, I think that's going to be something that frees up James Harden in a lot of ways in that playing conventional pick-and-roll defense against James Harden has been death for defenses for years now, right? He's an expert at picking apart that type of defense. So I think Joel is going to elevate what Harden's able to do. I just don't know that it's going to be enough. Um, Mm. that's That's all I'm willing to say. Just tactically... It's an improvement for Harden that he's going to get to play next to Joel, even though all the stuff that people have mentioned elsewhere, right? Like, Joel is not this conventional dive hard to the rim pick and roll mate. He's not this vertical threat where you throw the lob to him that Harden is used to doing. He He's not all of those things, but he is going to free James up in other ways. I love this corner for you, that I'm just the guy asking questions I'm about the Sixers. <laughs> We need to get you on a Twitter detox, man. <laughs> uh, there's, some, there's some bad things going on out there. Um, what about the Nets? Just briefly, any hope that maybe not in the regular season, but playoff-wise, they they put, put it together? Like, I, I kind of default to the Nets when I get this question, if only because best player wins the series, typically, right? Like, they almost beat the Bucs last year with yeah. James Harden having one hamstring and without Kyrie Irving, like if they have just like some Kyrie and Ben Simmons, is that enough? 
Well, I'd like to have a sense if any of their three best players are going to be on the floor and in what contexts and how good they look. So we'll see. Call me back in six weeks, I guess. And by the best three, you mean Patty Mills, Seth Curry, Joe Harris. <laughs> uh, actually, Andre Drummond is the third, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, let's uh, let's move along here. Uh, so I brought up the Bucks as my team of most intrigued in a bad way. Rob, who do you have? So mine, this is going to sound weird, because it's a weird way to classify a team that is on a six-game winning streak, playing some of the best basketball in the league right now. But my pick is the Utah Jazz, because I'm just kind of surprised to see them on this side of the deadline without any significant changes whatsoever. They didn't add another defender. They didn't trade Jordan Clarkson or Boyan Bogdanovich or any healthy player they had to trade. They didn't really get much deeper. They just brought in Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And so I guess... They're just going to cross their fingers and hope that's good enough to get to the Western Conference Finals, which maybe it is. They've looked good since Donovan Mitchell's been back in the lineup. I I just don't, I can't look at this roster and this team and see anything but the same old story with them. You know, man, <laughs> and I talked to Sarah Todd the other day on Weekends with Waz. Every single Sunday, check that out. Um, <laughs> what feed is that on? <laughs> That's on the Ring of NBA feed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and, you know, she did mention, like, look, there is there has been some extra friction. We covered the sort of Rudy Gobert comments in, in public, all of that stuff. Um, I see where it's at. And various saying that I'm too online. He's right because the other day I saw a tweet where somebody was mentioning that Rudy's significant other sat next to Donovan Mitchell's significant other, oh, which no. means it was kumbaya. I was like, oh, I was like, all right, come on. What are we doing right now in Utah? We need um, the all-star break. Yeah. But no, I, sh I share your concerns, Rob, to be honest. Um, they, they've looked a little bit better recently. Um, and it seems to be like an enthusiasm for, with like internally for the improvements, the incremental as they may have been. There seems to be some enthusiasm like, all right, maybe we're turning in a corner and doing something well over here. My team that I'm like, all right, I'm looking at them in a sort of bad way. It's just Chicago, man. I just think the, this, there's, there's a, how much can you rely on DeMar DeRozan to just literally be Superman all year long? And then, you know, Zach Levine is mix, missing more games. Is Lonzo coming back this season? Yeah, I mean, the question of how much you can depend on DeMar, I think, is related to, well, how many guys are going to be out of the like, lineup for the foreseeable though, future? Right. Like, yeah. is Lonzo even coming back? The AC thing, we still, again, up in the air. The last game, which they won again, they played without Zach Levine. And it's just like, man, it's as fun and as amazing as this season has been to watch unfold in Chicago. Everybody's been so pleasantly surprised by it. I wonder if, you know, the wind is going to leave their sails pretty soon here because of the injury question. So I'm really worried about the Bulls in that way. Like, if they had all their guys, man, I'd be excited to see what they could pull off against the four top guys in the East, those those four, you know, stalwarts up there, and just see what kind of noise Chicago could make in the playoffs if they had every single guy available to them. But that's not been the case, and it doesn't seem like it's going to be the case. Uh, counterpoint for you. <laughs> Nikola Vucevic starting to look pretty good. He's yeah. starting to play pretty well. He is. Yeah, I'm I'm done counting the bulls out. Every time we're like, oh, I don't. This doesn't make any sense as a roster. And it's like, oh, they go on a ten game winning streak. And it's like, oh, they don't have X guy. It's just like they've won four straight. And like yeah. Aodinsumu, like originally looked like just like a spark plug energy guy who could be fun for a couple of minutes, and all of a sudden is starting a point guard and looks like an all rookie guy who might be a valuable contributor down the stretch. Patrick Williams might be back soon. So yes, I agree. I share your concerns. And like even at full strength, I wonder if they could defend well enough in order to stop some of these like high caliber offenses, especially now that there are more of them in Philly and, and Brooklyn seems to be sorting itself out. But like, man, they, they just figure this shit out. Like I wouldn't be surprised if they make a second round this postseason. It's tough though, just because for everything we've said about the West, I never thought I'd see the day, but the East is actually so tough right now. So difficult where the bulls are having an incredible season. They're tied for first place in the East right now. And in terms of championship equity, might be like the fourth most likely Eastern Conference team to make the finals. It's just brutal for yeah. for as good as they've been. Yeah, I wouldn't even put them at fourth, honestly. Like I would put Heat, 
Sixers, Nets, Celtics, Bucks. Bucks. Yeah, I forgot the Bucks. I might even put the Celtics ahead of them just because at the very least you have two stars in Tatum and Brown. I don't you know. You in 538, my friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just believe in the math, you know, believe in the science. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerMBA. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerMBA right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. At Walt Disney World Resort, magic is found in spontaneity. The unplanned, the unexpected. An inside joke born in the Haunted Mansion queue. A surprise stitch sighting in Tomorrowland. Watching fireworks from your room. These memories aren't made from predetermined plans, but manifested from simply being. Present and together in the most magical place. Find your moment at Walt Disney World Resort. Let's uh, let's pivot now to our last segment, which I'm calling buyout matchmaker. Uh, I really wanted to record a drop for this segment in which Rob Mahoney sang the first few bars of let the bodies hit the floor, but change bodies for buyouts. Uh, he unfortunately refused, and which no. is why you do not have that entering this section right now. Well, we're just saving that. It's a great tease, Justin, for our upcoming <laughs> podcast here at The Ringer, 60 new metal songs to explain the NBA. If you've ever wanted to know, how Papa Roach's last resort predicted this season of jazz, jazz basketball. Please tune in next week. We'll have that up for you. I, I thought you were going to say our new buyout market podcast, which Oof, considering the amount bleak. of time we spend talking about these guys, I wouldn't be surprised if it deserves a new podcast. Unfortunately, none of these guys will probably even be in a playoff rotation. And yet let's talk about some buyout guys. <laughs> um, so I have a list here. I'm going to read off some names and you guys tell me what team would be the best fit for them. Let's talk about a guy who is very much in the news right now being linked to a lot of the best contenders in the league. Goran Dragic was. Goran Dragic looking for a new home, just left San Antonio. Let's play a little matchmaker. Who is his best fit for the rest of the season? You can always come home, baby. Come <laughs> home to the heat. <laughs> At first, I thought home. home, I thought home was Toronto for a second. (laughs) Oh, I I thought you were gonna say Slovenia. (laughs) No, but come home to the Heat. Like he already knows their offense to a T. Um, He feels a need for them as far as an on-ball initiator, where it can't always be just Tyler Hero doing this all day whenever Lowry's not. Um, I just think that would just round out their ball handling rotation so beautifully. And again. His relationship with Spo and Jimmy and all of the guys is as solid as can be. The Heat, to me, is the obvious no-brainer and makes the most sense to me. I think that's a very natural dot to connect. For me, given their needs that we talked about earlier, why not Milwaukee? Why can't he be the guard to plug into the rotation, play for a championship team, give them minutes, give them something they need? That seems like a pretty clean fit, too. Yeah, he seems like he'll be used a lot in Milwaukee. The other obvious one, which I eventually will mention for all of these guys, the Los Angeles Lakers probably just walks in and starts for them at this point. Yes. Or or the Clippers for that matter. That's every single player on this list, by the way. So to replace Norm Powell, you're saying? I mean, just to give them a little bit more ball handling, a little bit more of a presence there. And if, I mean, if we wanted to go a little further down the list, if, if it was more important to Goran to play, versus Mm -hmm. to compete for a title. I think Denver could be really good. I think there's a lot of opportunity to play there, and he Mm -hmm. could actually improve them 
in a pretty significant way. Their guard minutes have just been pretty and, dire. And him and Jokic in a two-man game would just be, oof. That'd be nice. That'd be nice. Um, Gary Harris, soon to be, we assume, late of the Orlando Magic, all-star of the buyout market posts that are going around right now, uh, potential 3 and D wing. Rob, where do you think he would fit the best? Maybe future Cleveland Cavalier. Mm. Interesting. That's a zag. Is it? I mean, they need shooting. They need a guy who they can get a little bit more offense from the Isaac Okoro spot situationally. You know, if you want to have the stopper out there, that's great. If you want to have another shooter to give more room for to Levert and Garland, then you have this option. I, I think he could be, he could, he fills a really natural void in that roster in terms of a a guy whose shot is finally coming back to him after all this time and could uh, could just knock down some threes for them. By the way, uh, point of attack defense isn't as important when you have Mobley and Jared Allen back there. Like, it's you can de-emphasize that, which, look, as much as I love Garland, Levert, you know, does what it... That's not what they're here to do. That's not what they get paid to do, right? And so Gary Harris would be an amazing anecdote to that, um, or antidote. I don't know why I said anecdote. Uh... <laughs> Oh, but I would like to see Gary Harris in Utah for basically the same reasons. Um, look, any like I think ideally they would have guys who were a little less light in the shorts as perimeter defenders, right? Like Gary Harris isn't really the most stout when it comes to the bigger wings. But when it comes to just some level of on-the-ball resistance at all, please, for the love of God, Get somebody in Utah who can perform that task. I would mm. love to see Gary Harris over there. You know what team could use some defense and probably a little bit more shooting? The Los Angeles Lakers. So, <laughs> are they just your answer for every player? Thank well, you. We'll see here. Uh, so, <laughs> let's move on to Dennis Schroeder, uh, former Los Angeles Laker, late now of the Boston Celtics will presumably be let go by the Houston Rockets unless they want to experiment with some three-guard lineups between him and Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green. Uh, but if he does shake free, Rob, do you see a natural fit for our guy, Dennis Schroeder? Well, how about to another of his former teams? Back to Atlanta with Dennis mm. Schroeder, a team that is perpetually in need of somebody to come in and play behind Trey Young and run an offense. <laughs> Even for as many guys as they have, as many mouths to feed in that offense as they have, I could see it. I could see some improved point guard play uh, if Dennis Schroeder is, again, willing to play a backup role, again, willing to play nice with others. We'll have to see on that. But I, I like the fit. Yeah, it's just the the right minutes and the Lou Will minutes when they're trying to anchor the offense, when Trey's not on the floor, it just always doesn't look right. I think Schroeder would be amazing at that for them. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing him in Charlotte as well because, again, when it's not Lonzo and it's not Scary Terry, they Lamello. don't have... Excuse me, LaMelo. Sorry. <laughs> sorry to the Ball brothers. Um, I just did what my mom does to me and my brother all the time and call us by the wrong name. Uh, I, I think in Charlotte, there would be a fit there too because, again, it's really from the guard positions as far as, you know, offensive initiation... It's scary, Terry, and it's Lamelo, and it's just basically that's 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 the that's it. So mm -hmm. he would be a great third ball handler over in Charlotte. Uh, I like the Hornets' pickup of Montrez Harrell, kind of on the the low there. I mean, he got let go for a very very low price, which makes me think that maybe things weren't going well for him chemistry wise in the in the Wizards' locker room. But like, he fits a lot of what the Hornets want to do: just get up and down. Well, not a low price to the Hornets, though, for exactly what Waz is circling here, which is they gave up Ish Smith, who they had really come to rely on. Now we can plug that hole with a buyout guy like Dennis Schroeder. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so for Schroeder, I'm going to say the Los Angeles Lakers yet <laughs> <Okay>. again, <laughs> but I actually mean it this time just because like, I know maybe the situation might not be a happy one there, but in terms of like fit and need, I can't see a clearer... Uh, just, just fit. Just, it just seems like they need someone to basically be what they wanted Schroeder to be when they traded for him last season. Just being able to drive the offense, being able to like handle the ball when LeBron is not on the court. I guess that means relegating Russell Westbrook to a bench role, but it already sounds like they're toying with that idea, or at the very least, 
Frank Vogel is in fuck it mode to the point where he just doesn't care anymore. <laughs> um, but I do Man, think they kind of need crazy. that. No? Benching, no, no, I, I, I agree that they need yeah. that. But the idea that you know you're benching Russell Westbrook uh, to bring back Dennis Schroeder, that is just, woo, that is poetic in ways that we don't even have the time to explain right here. Uh, but yeah, I would, I wouldn't mind seeing Dennis back here in LA. That would be a great fit for them because again, they haven't had a guy who can do anything with the ball who's not LeBron. It's one guy the whole damn season. Um, another just wrinkle to the the Lakers just slow descent into oblivion, into out of the even the play-in range is apparently they didn't even bother to clear a roster space at the trade deadline. So whatever they do, they're going to have to waive someone, which will only add to their luxury tax bill. So it just keeps getting worse there. Like, I, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if we want to wade into the muddy waters of like what's being reported about them lately, where it's like, on the one hand, they were holding the line against LeBron and AD and telling them, no, you made this mess. Now you have to deal with it. But on the other hand, like basically conceding that they did whatever they wanted, which shows them to be kind of just like, I don't know, just like minor players in this grand scheme of thing. It's really ugly. And it's gotten to the point where like even reporters in the same staff are putting out conflicting messages. I'll just I'll just say that. Well, it's a noisy organization in general, but I, I love this world that you've created where they're going to cut like three guys making $2 million a piece to sign three buyout players uh, in a world where those buyout players want to play for the Lakers this season. God bless everybody. Let me ask you this though. Are they not better with those three players than whatever three guys we can clear out of that roster? I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah. Um, all right. Last couple here. Uh, Eric Bledsoe. How about Chicago? Mm, love that fit. You know, not the shooter they need, but in terms of the energy, in terms of the defense, you can see him kind of like revving up their fast break engine once they get mm -hmm. Caruso and Lonzo and those guys back. I, maybe he doesn't play a ton because Ayodesuma has been so good, but, you know, you can have alternative. You can have a more veteran option. Also, him and, Lon not, him and AC are like similar players in that... Their value is mostly based on the defensive end. And the, anything that they do on offense becomes just like, all right, all right, thank you. All right, that was nice. <laughs> a nice little extra. You know, I, I I really do think they mirror each other in those ways. And yeah, that would be that would be a pretty nice, nice move for those guys. Um when did Alex I mean, Caruso become blessed to only be AC? No even first reference. Or well, the first reference is AC. Yeah. Well, he is well, Waz's all-time favorite player, as yeah, we've established. So, <laughs> so that, I'm always going to call him by the nickname. He, we don't mm. even need to say his whole... When we say AC, there's no other ACs out there. You mm. know, people watch this me might think of Slater, but that's mm. about it. Or Green. Green. Yeah. Yeah, but other than that, it's AC, baby. Okay. Um, anyone for Eric Bledsoe that you like, Was? It's tough, man, especially when you think about this stretch playoff run and 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 Bledsoe has had so many playoff flameouts uh, at this point. But again, defensively, I do think he would make sense for the Jazz. Uh, they need perimeter defense. They need wing defense. And at this point in Eric Bledsoe's career, it's so obviously his number one strength by far. Uh, particularly when he's engaged, right? We've seen it sometimes where he gets to a situation with a team where he's less engaged. But I think as a perimeter defender, um, I think he would make sense with Utah for sure. Mm. And the last guys I have on my list, uh, a combo of, of centers, uh, Robin Lopez, Tristan Thompson. <laughs> Rob, any team need a center out there? Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers do, let me tell Don't you. Don't you dare relegate Paul Reed to the third team. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> I'm going to take Tristan Thompson there in the case that the Pacers buy him out at all because they kind of need him to play minutes. The Pacers don't have any bigs. Goga Batadze accepted. Uh, who I don't can know really what the Pacers play. are doing. Like, they're probably going to be too good to even get a top five pick, which seemed to be the entire theory behind what they're, they're doing. They're not going to be that good. There are a lot of bad teams. Let me just tell you. <laughs> well, we'll see. Things can always get weird. But if Tristan Thompson is bought out, I think Philly is a natural fit. That was kind of the unseen cost of doing 
the Ben Simmons Harden deals. Drummond was probably the best backup Joel Embiid has ever had. He's actually played mm -hmm. pretty well this season. And in a way, is a model for guys like Bledsoe, these quote-unquote stars of a certain age who are now just like role guys, basically. And the fact that they're going to be missing that, I think, is substantial. They need an actual five to back up Embiid. I think Tristan Thompson could be that guy. Lopez, maybe the Warriors? Hmm. I just think they need a little more size through the stretch. Uh, especially, I the absolute last thing I want to do at this point is overtax Draymond when he comes back. So anything yeah. that can help me avoid that is my top priority in the buyout market. And by the way, I, I love the idea of Steve Kerr getting Tristan Thompson because he's the exact type of player that he would play way too many minutes <laughs> and piss the <laughs> hell out of Warriors fans everywhere. So that I love as an idea. Um, also, what about a homecoming? Tristan Thompson, go home, Toronto. I know that. I know. <laughs> You're gonna say Cleveland. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> this actual ancestral home. Um, I know that the Raptors are kind of like we don't really need a center. They they kind of feel like they're too hipster for centers. But I think Tristan Thompson still has a little bit of his athleticism left to execute what Coach Nurse wants to do on defense, which is a really chaotic defense. And I just think, you know, as a guy who could actually be a center with some heft and not get pushed around by 9 out of 10 NBA centers, unlike a lot of the guys that Toronto now employs, uh, I, I would like to see Tristan in Toronto going back to um, Scarborough. Or what, yeah. is he from Mississauga? He's from one of those... Um, Toronto suburbs. <laughs> well, especially if you're in the East playoff picture this season, you have to, at least at the back of your mind, say, who is not going to get thrown around like a rag doll when Joel yeah. Embiid or Giannis Antetokounmpo or even like the mm -hmm. Cavs bigs come into our building? I think it has to be on your mind. Producer Isaiah says Brampton. It's Brampton. It's Brampton. My bad. Ah, yeah, hey, don't kill right me, Right the tip of my tongue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was going to say the the Mavericks, just to get a center in there. Like, basically do the, the new age Boban and just have Robin Lopez shoot hooks for 15 minutes a game. It's like, do that. Right now, you, you're, you're missing some size. I don't know if Davis Bertans is even a rotation player for them. So, there you go. Well, he, he was last night, let me tell you. Probably his best game in two years all of a sudden. Great. Great. I'm, I'm happy for them. Um... All right, let's uh, let's wrap it there. Uh, enjoy your all-star break. We'll be back next week. Thank you to Isaiah Blakely on production. Be on the lookout for our new buyout podcast starting next week where Rob drops that new metal riff. Rob, you want to do it? You want to hit it one time? I think we're going to save it. I think we're going to save it for <laughs> next week. All right, we'll see you next time.